Hello and good morning, good afternoon, wherever you're at and whatever time it is. This is Scott McNamara and this is What's New in Adaptive Physical Education. In this episode, this is the second of two episodes on teaching children with autism. We had Dr. Sean Healy from the University of Delaware, Dr. Melissa Bittner, who's uh, almost at California State University, Long Beach, and we have Dr. Martin Block from the University of Virginia here. And, uh, you know, this is the first time we've had three researchers, but we're happy to have that, you know, perspective. And in this episode, we kind of talk about some different approaches with working with kids with autism, uh, specifically some different things that we look at when specifically we start talking about bullying, teaching strategies, uh, how to educate the kids around uh, our students with autism. And then I asked uh, them, since we had a research panel, about some research that's going on in the field. So I hope you enjoy, and uh, thanks for listening. It's all about having a toolbox of strategies that you can draw from for every child, because regardless of whether we're talking about children with autism or not, we're always aware about the, 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 the uniqueness of the child, and that's particularly true for children with autism. So it's about having that toolbox of strategies whether it's visual supports, whether it's uh, choice boards, for example, whether it's using timers, many strategies are going to work, but they all won't work for every child. So it's about not being afraid to experiment with different strategies. It's about talking to special ed teachers, talking to parents, talking to the individual, the child themselves, to work out what strategies work best uh, for them. And one thing that um, we didn't mention was that Many of our children with autism have fixated interests. And when it's appropriate, it can be very effective to bring this interest into the into your physical education classroom. And I say when it's appropriate, for example, when it's an age-appropriate fixated interest. Sometimes we want to maybe broaden their fixated interest, but often it can be a very effective strategy. And I would say especially for the younger kids that I would have worked with with autism, that can be a wonderful starting point. And of course, that would be coupled with using all those um, evidence-based strategies that Melissa and Martin um, spoke about. Absolutely. And just to hit on, you know, sometimes they do have age-inappropriate behaviors, and do we we do try to avoid those at times as well, though? If they have age-inappropriate um, fixated interests? Yes. Yes. Yes, so... That is a controversial one. Usually aim, when it's not age-appropriate, fixated interest, to... I, I wouldn't be afraid of bringing it into the classroom, but I would try and fade it as quickly as I could. That would, that would be my approach. Okay. And I would try and broaden it as much as I can. And I'm doing that to support the child. Of course, I want to support their learning and use whatever motivational strategies I need to, to do that. But also, I'm very aware, especially in the peer environment, we put up a lot of emphasis on social interaction. And I want to help that child to interact with the other children as much as possible. Very good. Yeah, I've had some students that had some, uh, had a kid that was fixated on hair on the ground. And he would get on the ground and look at the hair and get really fixated on that. Obviously, he wasn't, the, you know, he's getting older, third, fourth grade. The kids didn't want to be around that anymore. So at first, I tried to kind of use it as a behavioral thing, but I kind of, after a while, I said, I can't do this anymore, and I had to stop it because it was not 
acceptable by the peers. So I think it does get a little fuzzy. With that, I had a question on here. Um, why don't we transition now to, to bullying? And I've had Dr. LeVay on here who talked about bullying before. Uh, but I think kids with autism are, you know, exceptionally prone to it. Um, and so how do we then teach other kids about autism and avoid some of that bullying issues that are going on? Well, first I would just say that you're definitely right that uh, children with autism are definitely more susceptible to bullying. And um, Some research I did a few years ago involved interviewing children with autism about their experiences in general PE. And it was really quite, um, quite awful what came out from some of these kids talking about um, instances where they were bullied um, in physical education. And again, it's, there's a number of reasons why they are more susceptible to bullying. One might be, for example, that it's a largely individual, or sorry, uh, invisible disability, which makes it harder for the other children to understand why some of these unique behaviours are being expressed. And then again, when you think about the characteristics of autism, the social, the, um, the sensory, the, that desire for routine, they really conflict with PE. So the PE environment is an environment which specifically may expose the child's autism characteristics. So I, I, I think it is something that PE teachers have to be aware of. Um, I think um, there's a number of things we can do to help alleviate the bullying. Uh, the first thing is we must prepare the classroom. We must have high expectations about behaviour, make the behavioural expectations very clear. When it's appropriate, we should educate our kids about diversity and about how individuals are unique. Whether a child has autism or not, you can be sure that they have some characteristics that makes them different from the child who is beside them. So we can frame conversations like that to help them understand the, um, the differences um, within the class. As well as that, we can help the child with autism themselves to advocate for themselves. We can help prepare them for the P environment. We talked about social stories, for example, or systematic desensitization, whereby we gradually introduce them to that environment, the P environment, so as they're not kind of thrown into this environment, become overwhelmed, and straight away they're isolated from their peers for that reason. So I think that any method we can prevent um, isolating them from their peers is going to really help these individuals. I think what Sean said was I really good, but I, let, is there any other, you know, um, off of that? Is there other things that we can do to prevent bullying? I think Sean hit a lot of really, really, really good points. Um, you know, some things that I've seen before observing others is maybe pointing at, still, you know, I think having good intentions as a PE teacher to maybe point out that Johnny has autism and then kind of saying, you know, he has autism and then, you know, explaining that, is this, so, you know, and then explaining that away to the students. You know, I think explaining to the kids, especially if you're in third, second grade, what autism is, you know, we're having a hard time explaining it now, uh, even among, you know, one another. How do we effectively do that and not also, I've seen it maybe a few times where I feel like they're almost bringing the kid down a level or two right in front of his peers still. Feel bad for him, pity him. Is, and I'm asking, I don't, I don't have any answers, I'm just here to 
to, yeah, to prod. <laughs> I, I think it's a good point, and without doubt, it's a very difficult thing to do. It's something I have tried to do on a number of occasions, sometimes successfully, sometimes maybe not so. Um, the one thing I'm thinking about is is a boy who was could get um, quite aggressive, especially when he didn't get his own way. For example, I put him on a team with some people he didn't want to be with. Well, I definitely, uh, how I framed that conversation with him and his peers, it was a small class, and he was okay with me having this conversation. He was an adolescent with autism. I, I, I wanted to, I, I, I didn't care so much about autism spectrum disorder, about that DSM-5 classification. What I wanted to get through to the students was, we have different ways to communicate. Some ways are appropriate, some ways are not appropriate. Sometimes, when this boy uh, wishes to communicate, he does so in a very inappropriate way, maybe by being aggressive with equipment pieces, for example. So I framed the conversation to like this for his peers to understand that how this boy communicates with them when he's angry is not appropriate. But I wanted them to understand that this is something that I'm aware of, and I didn't want to get a kind of a backlash from them. And I helped them to understand that this is what you can do when that happens. I want you to remove yourself from the situation, and I will um, work with this boy. So I, I framed the conversation very specifically to focus on the the behavior that was an issue that I was trying to um, overcome to make it a, a better learning environment for all the students. So I didn't frame the conversation about autism. I framed it about the actual behavior that was the issue. I did also have some children who were very happy to talk to their peers themselves about their autism. And I found that was a, a that was very, that was a wonderful, um, a wonderful uh, thing for the child to do as well, to become uh, an advocate for themselves. Whereby the, the scenario I'm thinking of, it wasn't planned at all, but I overheard him speaking about how, uh, about some sensory issues, specifically her hair would start itching really badly in physical education. And she, she tried to explain this to her peers that this is why she's doing it. She runs, she gets sweaty, and her hair, it starts that she feel painful, she said. So she started advocating this to her peers, so our peers weren't looking at this girl, watching her scratch her head furiously. They were kind of understanding and became more, um, had, had more uh, empathy for this girl to understand that she's actually feeling some pain because of this situation she is in. She's not just scratching her head because of what other reasons they may be. So if we can get them to advocate for themselves with our support, that's fantastic. Otherwise, I try and just be very specific with these conversations I have. I'd be interested in hearing... Uh, other people's um, thoughts on this. I, I have one quick one. I think uh, I'm going to use the term a guardian angel. You find two or three children who are well respected by their peers. You pull them aside and you talk to them about this child with autism. You don't have to go into like Stone said, I don't need to know the DSM-5 definition. I just say this child has some challenges and he really needs some friends and some guardian angels to, to help. And I think that they can kind of protect the child a little bit, befriend the child a little bit. So I think that that could potentially be a good solution. I've seen that done before. I think that could be very helpful. All right. That I and I think that's a it's an interesting conversation. I think all the things we just talked about on that bullying topic, it, you know, I, and I I want to stress that I think I personally I think that these these things are very complicated. You know, we can give strategies like we've talked about the evidence based practices and bullying, but when you're in there, you know, those things are they're complicated. 
They can be very complicated. Um, so with that, I'm going to kind of go now to um, maybe talking about some more drier stuff. I don't know if it's dry or not, but talking about assessment. Um, and so if I'm going to, uh, what are some, you know, general guidelines and general assessments that an AP or PE professional can make to make um, eligibility and placement uh, decisions for kids with autism? I, I always begin with observing the child in the general physical education setting and looking to see just not if they're an expert or the best, but do they seem to have adequate or if they're inadequate, are they significantly adequate motor skills, fitness skills, behaviors, things like that. Um, that gives me a good start to see because if, if the child seems to be doing okay, um, then I don't need to go to the next level and actually do a formal assessment. Um, the formal assessment part is where I really uh, struggle. Um, we have a local school for children with autism here, and I'm often invited there to assess children. And I have a special form now for an untestable child because the child won't do anything I ask them to do. They won't throw the ball. They won't kick the ball. They won't run. They won't jump. Now, the ironic thing is I'll turn my back, and they're jumping and running and skipping and galloping. I say, wait a minute. I just asked you to do that. Why aren't you doing that now? So... So I find that to be a real challenge. And what I've done recently is I've gone to a more um, positive approach to assessment. So I take the child. We have an option of a playground, an outdoor setting with bikes, or an indoor setting. And I ask the child, with the help of the child's teacher, you know, where do you want to go first? You, you guide us. And let's let the child have fun and demonstrate to me some things they can do. And then within that setting... I try to tweak some things. So the other day we took a child to a playground and he was uh, running around and I was, you know, proceeded to say, well, let's play a little tag game. I'll chase after you. And then maybe can you copy me um, running backwards? Can you copy me skipping? And because it was a positive setting where he was comfortable, where he chose, he was more likely and he was giving me things that I was really pleased to see. And then when he re re uh, reached that comfort level, we could take him into the gym to try some more formal things, which again, he didn't do great on, but at least I felt like I had started positively and got a little better glimpse of what his skills were. Yeah, I think Dr. Block mentioned a lot of uh, very relevant points there. And uh, I think uh, we have a whole lot of assessments we can choose from, but again, with these kids, um, many kids with autism, we have to make sure that we understand how we can best communicate with them. We have to understand how we can best motivate them. Because we want to be sure that when they're performing their assessment with us, they're performing to their best of ability. So we have a true representation of their motor skills, for example, of, our, our, of their fitness. Um, I think giving them choice is a wonderful thing, giving them a, a kind of control choice. Recently, I was trying to do also TGMD with a boy with autism, and I used dice whereby I had different components of the TGMD on either side of the dice. And I was able to get the child to roll the dice, and he was far more likely to perform the motor skill that was that came up on the dice than the motor skill that I would tell him to do. So we can be kind of creative with motivational strategies like this. Also, again, using schedules, for example, to lay out the activities the child would be doing, that would be helpful also. And finally, I would never... Um, I would never... If I was to be assessing a child, I would make sure that I had practiced these activities or these um, skills with the child 
prior to the assessment. I wouldn't like the child to go in cold, as they say, into the assessment. I want to prepare the child to make sure that I have some routine established. So when the child is ultimately being formally assessed, he has or she understands uh, what the process involves. And, and don't forget to try to present the test in the manner that they might that might be best suited for them. For example, picture task cards have been validated for the TGMD3 uh, by Breslin Rudisell. So if you've got a visual student uh, with autism, encourage you to use that uh, because verbal communication may not be their best method of communication. Very nice. That's a great point. And uh, so we can bring in those strategies for instruction or communication. And also we can think about the environment. Think about, uh, like Dr. Block says, an environment they're comfortable in, but also maybe a quieter environment, maybe free of distractions, for example. We give them ample time for rest breaks, for example. Maybe we use reward systems. These type of strategies will also help you to have a successful assessment with your child. Yeah, great, great points. And one more thing, just to, to, to kind of share the complexity and the challenge to this. Um, so I'm demonstrating skipping to a child and asking them to skip. First, the child has to pay attention to my legs because that seems to be the critical aspect of skipping. What if the child's looking at my nose or my ears or my clipboard or something behind me? So I'm not even sure what the child is attending to. So that's the first child challenge. Now, let's say I can get the child to attend to what I'm looking for. Can the child translate that to his body to say, okay, I see what the legs are doing. Can I get my legs to do it? So that's another thing that children with autism struggle with. And then finally, like Sean mentioned before, motivation. So I've seen it. I can get my legs to do it, but I don't really want to skip. So thanks for playing. I'm, I'm done. And so, so all, those, all those pieces anywhere along that chain or multiple places makes it really difficult for a child with autism to demonstrate what they really can do. So that just assessment is really, really challenging. In addition to the point needs to be made that it's important to use some type of standardized test in case you are brought to a court of law. So all of that on top of everything else that we just discussed. We're getting to the to the end of our podcast, and I want to say thank you once again. And I really want to apologize, Dr. Block. I don't know how that email thing happened, but uh, thank you so much for being on. I, you know, I don't normally have three, quote-unquote, well, not quote-unquote, three researchers on at once. I usually have some more practitioners and maybe a related field sometimes. But with that, I have three uh, APE researchers and a lot of your research is in autism where to the viewers and such either talk about you know maybe some of the current research you're doing and or uh where do you think the future in autism and pe research is going and we'll kind of end on that i'm happy to discuss a research project i'm going at the moment because i'm quite uh, excited about it so i'm working now with a uh, a parent-mediated intervention, because we can do a lot of physical education in the States that are lucky enough to have an APE teacher. We can do wonderful work with our children with autism. But I'm very aware of the other time in the child's life at home, for example. So I'm um, currently conducting a feasibility study to examine how we can use a Facebook group for parents of kids with autism to help them to mediate the intervention to increase physical activity levels of kids with autism. 
And the next step with that, we'll be looking at a parent immediate intervention to work on some motor skills in the home environment with the kid with autism. Um, because although this uh, focus on physical education, of course, is wonderful and essential, um, I'm, I'm also um, trying to research about how that family involvement um, can help the child get their minutes of physical education, um, hopefully develop their motor skills as well, and all the other related domains. So that's something that I'm quite excited about at the moment. So seeing how in, in, it's in a social media text or context. So at the moment I'm experimenting with using social media to facilitate this intervention, but I'll also be looking to explore like text message based interventions, for example. Whatever hmm. way we can reach those parents to help them to better support their child's activity you and motor skill development. You have to let us know what you find. I look forward to it, I will. It'll be finished in uh, two weeks. Um, I can jump in real quick. I have uh, just two doctoral students. One, I mentioned about what are the children attending to. She has these special goggles, she being Joanne Judge, who's now at the University of Southern Mississippi. Um, she has these special goggles that could tell us or tell her where the child is focusing their attention. So she has a video of someone running and galloping and doing skills, and she can actually see where the child is looking. So she's at the very preliminary stages, but it's very exciting research to see where the child with autism is attending. That's that first critical step. And then another doctoral student, Andy Dugavito, Andy Colombo Dugavito, who is graduating Saturday and will be starting at the University of North Texas this fall, did his dissertation on using kind of modifications and, and props to help children understand how to do a motor skill. So for example, with throwing, if I'm not bringing my arm back properly, he has something that they need to reach back to first to touch and then they can throw. And this kind of helps them understand and get their body in the correct position. So, so those are just two studies that we, we've done here. So. And my line of research is uh, use of technology for children with autism. And in particular, I recently looked at the Exercise Buddy app. And we've done some comparisons with traditional practice style teaching versus using the video modeling app and found that uh, peak energy expenditure and peak heart rate uh, were higher when using the Exercise Buddy app. And also for my dissertation, looking at validating the app and then its use uh, with children with autism. All right, thank you so much for listening to this episode of What's New in Adapted Physical Education. We are going to have uh, another episode very soon on working with people with visual impairments, and we're going to have a Paralympian, an AP teacher, and another professor on. Uh, also, just to be on the radar, that uh, the National Consortium for Adapted Physical Education, or otherwise known as NICPED, is coming up next month in uh, Washington, D.C., so uh, make sure to check that out, and if you can, please attend. All right, with that, enjoy your day, and thanks for listening. These children might be experiencing some tactile defensiveness.